Okay, uh, Grant Gordon gave me this. This should be the last Sunday we all need this for uh, preaching because our roof leaks so bad. And uh, we asked to give, and Grant said, you have, we haven't fixed the roof. So you see these buckets? These buckets aren't for collecting money. They're for collecting water. They're all over the place. Our roof is bad. We came to you and said, we're going to need uh, f- basically 421000 and change to be able to fix our roof. And uh, this is a celebration. Do you know how much money came in? 422000 421 and change. So... <laughs> So uh, thank you so much for your generosity as you gave. Uh, we, uh, but you know, there's the God part. Like, it's not 430,000, it's not 410,000. We need 421,000 and change, and we got 421,000 and change. There's the God part in all this. So he was working in our hearts. Uh, so thank you so much, that, that's incredible. Uh, you are the end. When I tell my other pastoral friends about how instinctively generous Springvale is, you are the envy of other churches. Pastors want to come here and be on staff because this is a great church. And that's just one way that uh, you show your faith in following Jesus. And uh, thank you very much. We still do have some bills, so there are still some more things. I, I hate to say this because it kind of takes away from the, the celebration of the money, but uh, there is still a few other things that, that need to be done. So if you still are wondering whether you can give, yes, you can give, and we'll cover some of the other costs. But uh, I just praise God for all that he has done through you. Another celebration is uh, you see the guy behind the piano, you sometimes see him playing guitar, sometimes the drums. His name is Ashley. He has spent, this is his fifth year, and we celebrate five years. Let's. I, I got to tell you, I love that guy. He is, he and Jeannie came with just Amelia. Now there's Ashton and Lord A in the midst. They're building a family. But he has built us as a family. Uh, he's, he's, his leadership on the platform is, is unbelievable. His tech skills are great. His, his initiative and his creativity. And uh, I just love working with him behind the scenes. He's so uh, dependable. He, I just, just really... I value him as I do all our staff um, because we have a very, very, very good staff. And uh, he's just, he's one of them. And uh, we celebrate having him here for five years. I hope it's, it's another five years we'll be celebrating his 10th time with us. So thank God this week for the staff members God has given us and uh, the hard work that they do and the way that they use their gifts to serve you and to honor God. Now, uh, just a reminder, uh, we have but first coffee, and that is happens, if you consider yourself new here, and you haven't met Dustin or I, we'll be at the back right at the end of the service, love to see you and meet with you. Just, just get, your, get your name face together and uh, say hello. Love to have you enjoy a coffee uh, on us. Now, I, I have a question for you as I transition into my sermon. Let me ask you this. Do you ever, does God ever disappoint your expectations? Do you ever expect something from God you're sure he should do and he doesn't do it? Well, Kate, her testimony was that. That's normal, and here's why. 
In Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah is writing uh, to the people of the land in Israel. And he says, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. So here's the thing that Lavin talked about. We think we have to be right before God before we come to God. We think we have to be clean before we come to church. We think we have to be perfect before we're baptized. And yet Isaiah says, no, turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on you. Don't clean up your life because you can't do it. Just turn to God and he'll have mercy. To our God and he freely uh, pardons because my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God's thoughts and ways are different from our thoughts and ways. The way God thinks, the direction that God gives will be different often than you think you should do. The way, another way to say it, the ways of God to live out faith in this world are vastly different than the world will tell you how to live. Now, this is the second chapter of 1 Corinthians that uh, Dustin introduced last week. And he's focused on Jesus, first chapter. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the focus of our faith. He's the focus of our preaching. He's the focus of our lives. It's all about Jesus. And Paul sets that foundation in the first chapter. Here in the second chapter, he's going to set the foundation uh, that, that the ways of God and the thinking of God is different than you think at times. He is going to say, here's some things he's going to say in the rest of the book. Learn to die to yourself rather than to seek and satisfy yourself. Then now does that fit the culture of our day? Don't take a brother to court, even if they've ripped you off, but rather suffer financial loss. Now does that sound right? Be careful how you act since angels are watching what we do. Huh? There are times when the church must discipline sinning, unrepentant people for their good and the protection of the church. Your body, you know, the one you live in, doesn't belong to you, so you can't use it however you want to use it. Oh, it's my body. 1 Corinthians 7. The husband body, the husband's body does not belong to him, him, nor does the wife's body belong to her, so stop depriving one another sexually. If what I am doing, even if I have the right to do it, will lead another person into sin, then I need to stop. But it's my right. At times, women are not to speak in a public worship in church. <laughs> Awkward. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah, but what if it betrays you? Believers will be resurrected from the dead and given new immortal bodies. How does that work? 
Set aside a sum of money each week according to your income, not your expenses. Each week. Now, unless you understand that the thinking of God is different than ours, this, that stuff is just weird. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't, many of those things don't make sense in our culture. It's not the way people live. It, some would say some of those things aren't even right. And there's nowhere where the thoughts of God are different than the thoughts of man than when it comes to salvation. And that's what Paul's going to focus on in chapter 2. He is going to build a foundation where we understand going forward that our minds need to be transformed. Our thinking and our thoughts need to be changed in order to follow God. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence of hu or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I, I didn't copy the TED Talk preachers of the day. I didn't have this stunning rhetoric and this boisterous presentation, which was common among the preachers of the day, preaching their wisdom. Because that's not how I came to you to try to give you this sense that, hey, I know what's truth and you need to listen to me. Here's how I came to you. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. I wasn't going to get into the stunning philosophy and rhetoric of the day. I was going to do one thing. I was going to teach you Jesus and him crucified, nothing else. I came to you in, now listen, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy that's gotten beaten for his faith. This is the guy that spread the gospel through the whole Mediterranean. I came to you in weakness with fear and trembling. You ever feel that way? You ever feel that way about the gospel? So I was uh, driving, uh, Crystal and I were coming home, um, I think in the fall, and we needed to uh, get an Uber to get from the airport <coughs> to back to home. So a guy picked us up, and I was beginning to talk to him, and I felt this prompting as we were, you know, having a conversation back and forth. I felt this prompting, turn this conversation into spiritual, towards spiritual things. And I'm telling you, in that moment, I felt what Paul felt fear and trembling. I did not want to go there. Just deep down, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. Now, I get the feeling that some of you may feel the same way when you get into situations with family members or friends or at work or neighborhood. You, you just get the sense that this would be a time to begin to talk to somebody about their faith. Or you have people in your life, you want them to come to Jesus. You want them to have a forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And you want to talk to them, but you get this sense of fear and trembling when it happens. Now, let me just remind, let's take a caveat here just for a second. Just step out of the sermon. In the fall, I refreshed our vision. I reminded us, hey, where is God leading us? Where do the staff and elders think God is leading us over these next few years? And I used uh, three words to kind of summarize where, where I believe God is leading us. Reach and risk. Reach and risk. What do I mean by those three words? Reach and risk. Well, that God is calling us to reach people with the gospel. 
that we live in a culture around us, surrounding us, where tons of people from a variety of cultures are coming in and don't know anything about Jesus Christ. And he's put us here to reach those people. And that is not just my job or the staff's job. That is all of us, that each one would reach one. That God is calling us. You know people that I don't even know. You have relationship with people I could never talk to, but they would listen to you. And God is calling you to the mission he gave the church, not just the pastors, but he gave the, to you as a, as a member of the church of Christ, the body of Christ, to reach people with the gospel. So I believe that, that God is focusing, wants us to focus on that over the next couple of years. Well, that's going to be uncomfortable for you because it's uncomfortable for me. I get into those situations where I have fear and trembling. I don't want to talk. It's awkward. I know how you feel. It's not like I, I have this pill I take and don't worry about it. it, it, it it's hard sometimes. It's a step of faith to obey and share the gospel. The, the risk part is that we're going to risk to build the best in class, or we hope to build a best-in-class children's facility out on the other side of that foyer where we can begin to impact the families that are flooding into this area. The reach and risk. Now, in order to do that, you have to ask yourself these three questions. Because I have to ask myself these three questions all the time. How am I going to pray? This will not be done without God. It's a God-sized vision to reach people and then to build a place where families are going to, we can begin to minister to families in a new way. So how am I going to pray? Where, how am I specifically going to pray? What will I give? Now you demonstrated your, your generosity for the roof. And we're going to have to answer that, ask and answer that question constantly as we go through over these next. Okay, God, what are you calling me to give this next time? But it's this third question that I think that what Paul is talking about here really impacts us. Who will I reach? Not who will Pastor Ed reach. Who will I reach? Now, when I was driving the Uber, well, I wasn't driving the Uber. <laughs> kind of don't need an Uber if I'm driving, right? So while I was in that Uber talking to the Uber driver, I was able to engage him in a spiritual conversation because, not because I it wasn't nervous or it, wasn't, it was easy for me. That's not why. It's because I had the tools and the training to be able to do it. You remember me talking to you about the shy questions? S-H-J-Y. You know, I spell shy funny. S, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? H, do you really think there's a heaven and a hell when we die? J, what do you think about Jesus and why? Do you know how God draws near to you? One of those questions will open up a conversation spiritual. The one I like to use most is the first one. So I said, do you have any spiritual beliefs? That began a 30-minute conversation. Uh, I would say from about Leslie to my house. 30 minutes where I listened to the spiritual beliefs that this individual had. And then he asked me if I had any, and I told him about Jesus crucified. Now, 
Has he, did he come to faith in that car? No. It, what did he do with that information? Did he come to church? Not that I'm aware of. I'm a link in the chain. I'm planting seed. And it's when we are willing to learn what we need to learn, we will know how to reach. This is why Byron and I are so big on providing training for you to be able to know the process of how to reach people. You've got family, you have friends, you've got coworkers, neighbors, uh, classmates that you would love to see come to Christ. We go, I, I don't know how to reach them. Well, that's what we do. We, we have a Share Jesus seminar we do three or four times uh, a year. And the next one is January 28th. You come right after the service is now where we will show you the process and give you the tools for how you begin spiritual conversations with your family and friends and classmates and coworkers. Also, uh, I trained somebody uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on Alpha. I did Alpha over COVID just by myself. I would invite people to come and we would do it on Zoom. It is so simple. And I trained a person. She said, I would like to know how to do that. I have two friends I would love to invite uh, into and go through Alpha. And how do you do that? And I'm like, man, it's so easy. It took us 45 minutes to talk about. 30 of those minutes was just us talking. 15 was me to show her how to do it. But you got to ask, or you have to come. You have to take the step to say, I'm willing to do what God's calling me to do. And that's why Paul said, I was fear and trembling, but this is why I preached the gospel. My, preaching, my message, verse 4, and my preaching were not the wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There it is. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There is the preaching and sharing of the gospel unleashes the power of God in a person's life. So faith is not, well, I guess I'll agree with you. You persuaded me. I'm going to come to your church. I'm going to come to your Jesus because I, you know, you talked about it and I really think it's the power of God. When you share Christ crucified, when you share the gospel, God pours out his power into that person's life and begins to deal with them in here. It's the only way that a person comes to faith. That's why Paul's with fear and trembling. Man, I'm not sure how they're going to take this. I don't know what this is going to do. Are they going to receive it? But I'm going to preach Christ. And then the power of God changed them from the inside out. We heard it three times here. That God speaks to us through the gospel. And when we share it with other people, he speaks to them. It's not my job. I'm planting seed. I'm planting seed. Sharing the gospel. But when people listen to it and people are willing to explore it, God's power begins to work in them. And that's why it's so effective. Now I'm just supposing, why do you talk about us doing the gospel so much? I'm getting a little tired of it. Look at these next verses. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Though the, the gospel is simple, Jesus died on the cross, took our place, paid for our sin, so that if we admit our sin, believe in him, and choose to surrender our lives to him, 
we're forgiven and given new life. It's simple. I mean, we teach that exact same message from zero right up. It's not a hard message to understand. In fact, if you've ever shared it, you will run into people that think it's foolishness. But Paul says, we don't, we speak a message of wisdom among the mature, among those who are willing to receive it. It is the wisdom of God. But it's not the wisdom of this age. It doesn't match the thinking that you usually encounter on TikTok. I mean, Kate found somebody was talking about the gospel on TikTok. God loses anybody and anything, right? But it's not usually what you'll hear in the classroom or media or from political leaders or from neighbors. In our day and age, the gospel is considered foolish. But that was the same that Paul said. He said, yeah, for those of us that receive it is the wisdom of God, but it's not the wisdom of this age. Nor is it the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Uh I'll get that, that comment in a second. No, we declare God's wisdom. We, uh, I just preach God's gospel. That's what I do. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had understood, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. The message of this age is so contrary to the gospel, and the gospel is so contrary to the message of the age, because God's thoughts and ways are different than my thoughts and ways. Can you imagine that Pilate was looking into the face of God, and he crucified him. Because he counted him as nothing. And so goes the story of millions of people who hear about Jesus and see the truth of God. Now that's foolishness, is their response. And why is that? Well, it's, <laughs> it's because the rulers of this age. Now, another caveat. Oh, by the way, I came out of the other caveat and was preaching. Now I'm going back into a new one. Just a side thing. So that term, rulers of this age, is a curious term. I looked up in the Old Testament. The term age is mostly used uh, to refer to the number of years a person has been alive. Oh, I'm 40, or I'm 70, or I'm 15, or whatever. Or how many years they ruled, or how many years they were a prophet, something like that. Refers to the age of the person, the number of years of something. In the New Testament, it carries that meaning sometimes. Predominantly, it carries a different meaning as an era or long period of time. So, who would be the rulers of the age? A long period of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The God 
of this age. See how similar that term is? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a spiritual war going on in which the rulers of this age... Now, here's another one of those... Oh, I'm back out of the caveat. Here's one of those things that this world thinks is foolish. That there, the Bible describes this, this realm of evil, wicked, spiritual beings, powerful, who have impact and control on the politics, the education, the culture of this world. In fact, Paul says, the God of this age is blinding people so they cannot understand truth. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this, For our struggle, meaning us as Christians, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people that are proclaiming thoughts and ways and, and morals that are different than ours. It's not against the people. Understand where these thoughts and these ways and these morals that are contrary to the scriptures, where are they coming from? It's our flesh and blood, but is our battle is against rulers. There it is. Rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is why only the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Because I'm not smart enough to outwit the God of this age. I'm not wise enough to come up with a plan or arguments or preaching that is better than the deception that he can do. There is only one thing that can change the hearts of people. Only one thing that has the power of God to transform for those who are willing to believe. And that's the gospel. That's why our job is so simple. My job's not to convince my friends and family that they need to follow Christ and push them into it. My job is to just lovingly share with them the gospel. And then if they're open in their heart, then the power of God begins to work within them as I share the truth of God. And by the way, the God of this world can't stop the God of eternity. His wisdom and his power is not enough to stop what God can do. And so Paul says, they don't, the, the rulers of this world don't have the wisdom of God. They don't have the message of wisdom. They didn't understand it, because if they did, they never would have crucified Christ. They, they, it was beyond their understanding that God would sacrifice himself to pay for the sins of people like us. Never happen. That's just stupid. The thoughts and ways of God are different than the thoughts and ways of mankind and of the spiritual forces of evil in this world. However, how it was written, Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, meaning nobody really understood. No human mind has conceived the things 
God has prepared for those of us that love him. We cannot begin to fathom what God is doing in our lives, in this world, and wants to do through us. And here's the great part. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Okay, go back to Lavin when he's being baptized. He says, he broke down. It's amazing to me that God, the creator of the world, would speak to me. Huh. Here's the scriptural verse that supports that statement. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Spirit of God is God, and so knows the deep things of God. Now, Paul uses an illustration. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Who knows what you're really thinking? I'm hoping you're thinking about what I'm saying to you, but you may be thinking about, you know, a guy you want to date, a girl you want to date, what you're going to have for lunch, will your car start when you go out. I mean, that may be where you're thinking. I would never know that unless what? You told me. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. Why? Because God's thoughts and ways are what? Different. That's the word. Different than our thoughts and ways. God's thoughts and ways are what? Different, good, from our thoughts and ways. Except, there's no way you can know God's thoughts and ways except the Spirit of God shows them. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world. The gospel is not something man dreamed up. It's the Spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. We, what, we are pre- what I'm sharing with you right now is not something I dreamed up. This is something that God is in the heart and mind and thoughts of God for us. And, and I'm sharing with you what God shared with us through his word. And this is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's why when some people listen to a sermon or come to church, it seems foolish. It is so contrary to what we're taught in the media and the politics and the educational systems of our world. It really doesn't make sense. And so that's why when I talk to some people about the gospel and try to transition into a uh, a spiritual conversation, then they just look, they kind of roll their eyes. Oh, it's foolishness. Because unless the spirit of God reveals it to the heart of a person, it is foolishness to them because God's thoughts and ways are different than our thoughts and ways. But for you that claim to be a follower of Christ, he reveals his mystery. He reveals his wealth of giftedness. He reveals his plans. He reveals primarily the gospel to you through spirit words, spirit-taught words, the words that are, are powerful. And when you share the gospel with somebody, he reveals to them, if they're open, 
He reveals to them by the power of the Spirit the truth of God. So this is what we speak. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. If you ever try to share Christ, the gospel with somebody, you will run into people like this. It's just, it's, yeah, no, it's stupid. And they cannot understand those words because they are discerned only by the working of the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, so this is you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. We now understand and we can look at life from God's perspective because he reveals it to us through the Word and through his Spirit in our heart. We can look and make judgments about what is right and what is wrong and what honors God and what doesn't honor him. And that's something we grow in as we walk with God. And we seek God. So we make judgments about all things because we understand the thoughts and minds of God as we seek him. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. We aren't living by the judgments and the culture and the mores and the values of this world. They're not what shape our lives. They're not what shape our passions or ought not to. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Who could ever tell God, um, just a sec, you're doing this wrong. This is the way to do it. Or who could ever tell God, you know, you don't know this, but let me share some stuff with you. But we, so there's nobody that can educate God. But we have what? The spirit and the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God given to us. So that we can know what he thinks. And know what he knows. I love how Lavin said it. As I seek him in his word, I hear him speak. That is a privilege that if you are a follower of Jesus, that you have, if you make time for it. So I've told you this story before, and I'll tell you again, because it's one of those kind of things that shape my thinking. Um, I had a friend who was in pastoral ministry for years, and near the end, he transitioned into becoming a chaplain at a hospice down, I think, in Denver, Colorado. And his job was to care for, to pastor those people in the hospice. And in that hospice, everybody that was in there had been told, you have no more than three months left to live. Many of them, like you got a month left to live, you got a week left to live, you got, you know, two months left to live. But nobody in the home had more than three months left to live. And I said to him, you must have some fabulous conversations. Like these people are on the precipice of death. I mean, one step, they're gone. You must have some incredible conversations about God. And his response to me was, I rarely talk to people about God. They don't want to hear it. And then he explained, 
throughout their life, God had spoken to them at various times, and they kept rejecting God. So by the time they got to the end of their life, because they were rejecting God, the gospel was foolishness to them. One step, they're gone. And the only thing that can make them right with God, don't want to hear it. So how important is it that we share the gospel of Christ with people so they understand, they hear the truth of God and give the Spirit of God opportunity to speak into their lives? So I thought, (coughs) excuse me, let's end with uh, these three questions. (coughs) What is God trying to tell us? This is a question for those of you that God has trying, been trying to tell you something, but you're res- resisting. You know what it is, but you've been resisting him. Are you going to deal with God about that? I don't know what he's talking to you about, but you know. What is it I'm resisting that God is trying to tell me? What are you going to do about that? Maybe the second question is the one you need to ask yourself. Who do I need to reach with the gospel? You know what? I need to start doing what God's told me to do. I have family, I have friends, I have classmates, I have coworkers, I have neighbors, and I've said nothing to them. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn how to reach some people with the gospel. Or maybe the third one, when do I need to meet with God to hear what his voice, hear his voice from the word? You know what, in my life this year, and over the last few years, I haven't really been seeking God. I, I don't get alone to be with God in his word. I don't listen for his voice. The consequence of that is we begin to, we're shaped by the thinking and the morals and the ways of our world rather than the thinking and the morals and the ways of God. Why? Because God's thoughts and ways are different from our thoughts and ways. And so we will follow the thinking and the, the, the speaking and the morals of this world naturally because that's what we grew up in. It's only when we hear the voice of God, whether it's through a sermon or through our own time in the Word of God, that we will understand what God has to say to us. So when are you meeting with God? I want to pray over you, so if you would just bow your head. First, which of these three questions is the Spirit putting on your heart today? Is there something you're resisting? Is there someone you want to reach, you know you should reach? Or is there a time you need to set aside to hear from God? Rather than just let those questions go and go, oh, I should answer those sometime today or this week. Deal with them now. Holy Spirit, you bring wisdom from your word. You teach us the mind of God. Grant that we would have the courage to conform our actions and our thinking to your thoughts and ways rather than remaining in the wisdom of this world. Teach us how to walk with you and be lights in this world. Teach us how to honor Jesus, to worship, not just here Sunday morning, but through the week, at work, at home, with our friends. 
Spirit, descend on us. Speak to us your wisdom, I pray. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Ed. Quite a morning.